This episode of the SaaS Revolution Show is sponsored by Oyster. Oyster is the global HR platform that makes it easy to employ people remotely in other countries. It's purpose-built for globally distributed organizations that want to tap the global talent pool and give all their employees around the world a great employment experience. Oyster lets you hire, pay, and give great local benefits in over 75 countries. To find out more, visit oysterhr.com. It's all about your first hires. When you hire them, it's extremely important. You have to give them the ambition. They are the next founders, uh, basically. I always say that because they will own the company one day, those guys. And and that's how I recruited them with the idea that, yeah, I'm going to learn them what I know. And I can't say by the time I was the more non, the, the most knowledgeable person, head of sales, call it as you want, but I wasn't. What I had was an ambition, was a drive to overachieve and to, to change forever the telecommunication industry, so the phone system industry in that case. And so I was looking in that talent in the, in the first hires is, will you guys be the next people that I'm going to hire for the next six, seven years. I'm Jonathan. I'm 34-year-old, one of the co-founders of Airco. Uh, the story is, is pretty, I mean, I feel pretty blessed by what happened for the past six, six years. We started uh, with the idea of revolutionizing the phone system industry uh, and making that simple phone system that any company could use in the world uh, and all disconnected uh, to your business tools, uh, so to your CRM, your help desk, etc. And uh, of course, the few the few first year were extremely hard. We were not coming from the telco uh, world at all, so we had to learn the hard way, kind of. Um, but things went pretty fast as we went from 1 million AR to 10 million AR in about a year and a half, uh, a bit more a bit more than maybe 19 months, something like that. So pretty fast, uh, things scaled. Uh, we had a, an amazing go-to-market. So we started also with the idea very early to um, to go worldwide and not have like a, a market, a uh, French market. We are four French uh, co-founders started in Paris, but very early we had the ambition to go uh, in the US. So we went um, in San Francisco in the beginning uh, uh, to, to build an office there. And then we moved it to New York. Uh, but our first customer actually was American. So it showed us the way kind of. And today we have uh, 85 to 87% of our revenue coming uh, from outside France uh, and 34% uh, coming from the US only with an office in New York and Nashville uh, in the US. Uh, and so there we are uh, six years later, uh, close to 400 people, um, hiring about 250 people in 2021, huge ambitions uh, and just moving fast. Moving very fast, Jonathan, uh, one to 10 million in 19 months or less is uh, is great growth. I think a lot of people would uh, uh, would love that, and we, we'll hear more on that next week at the uh, the, the Blueprint uh, event. So you mentioned one of four uh, French co-founders. How did you decide which one was going to lead sales? Uh, in- <laughs> Who does what? You mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, very naturally, uh, uh, two of my co-founders were tech, so very naturally. 
they went into the tech. Uh, my other co-founder, Olivier, was more uh, the, the financial guy, uh, product guy, and so on, uh, strategy product, and so on. So he took the lead on that aspect. And I, I felt more like a sales uh, and I liked that, uh, which was not the case of my co-founder. So very, very easily, the, the job was split. Uh, sales was always a natural thing for me, even though I don't believe in the fact that sales is a natural thing in a way that some people are made to be sales. That's wrong. Sales, it's all about the process, and we can we will talk about it later. Uh, but very easily, we split the roles, and from day one, I was that first sales. Uh, went on my own to something like uh, 200k AR uh, just on my own and then we started to hire our first interns then FT uh, full-time equivalents uh, to go to the 1 million with three cells basically I think we were two three cells including myself how come how comes interns at 200k just from a cost perspective yeah we, we had no cash. Yeah, we had no cash. Uh, uh, we had to find a way. Uh, the friend, in France, it's pretty easy to have interns. Uh, it's cheaper. You pay them something like one thousand euro per month, and that's what it costs you. Uh, all in all, so it was an easy start to say, okay, we have we take smart interns that have ambitions that might stay with us in the future, and uh, we get them to our small process by the time it was a very very nasty actually uh, but uh, it worked uh, we had a good uh, go to market strategy uh, a product that was attractive even though we had tons of problems in the beginning especially quality problems uh, not coming from telcos you build a telco uh, a telco thing is extremely hard but still market was there traction was there inbound and outbound uh, both and we could make something interesting out of it so once you you had those initial <clears throat> interns that you then you perhaps sort of replaced them or some of them maybe became full time team, that's going to I guess you've got to find you scale that sales team, find those sales processes. You know how did you learn and figure out what to do? Uh, you know at that point, so you know, where, where did you where did you, you find out what to do? There is of course two stories there. Uh, there is the reality that was. Uh, and I'm not going to make the storytelling. The reality was I was not coming from SaaS. None of us was coming from the SaaS industry. So you kind of learn on the ground, uh, read read some books, uh, even though I'm not so much a, a book reader, but read some books uh, to understand how it works and predictable revenue was, was there for that. And I understand pretty clearly that uh, to make it successful, a sales team needs to be splitted in different functions. Uh, so that's the first, that's very early, that's what we did. But let's say the first year with the interns, we were all full cycles. So when I say full cycle is really full cycle, it means we were doing the support, the sales, the onboarding, the customer success, everything. Uh, I, I don't advise that. But in the beginning, you know, you have no money. Uh, so you do what you can with what you have. And that's what we did. Uh, but then, I understood, okay, we need to specialize people. It's all about specialization. It's all about being focused uh, and finally replicate what we learned uh, a century ago with the Fordism, which you split the work to make each person more efficient in its 
own task. And that's, uh, and that's where we started to build really the different function with uh, CITs so that are in charge of finding the right company uh, that is in our ACP. So that's very junior people that just do research the whole day uh, on databases, on LinkedIn, on whatever, no matter what. They find this ICP. Then we had a team, that same team that was in charge of uh, finding uh, the right people into their companies. Uh, and then you put SDRs that hunt those people. Uh, then you have a marketing function that hunt, uh, helps the SDR hunt, but also nurture. And then you have the account executive that are just here to close. Uh, and then you have a last step that is customer success. In our case, we have customer success, but also onboarding in between the end of sales and the beginning of the success period where we try to make sure that each customer has a great experience uh, on Airco, has the right setup of network, of organization, and so they can scale for growth. And, and so was that the, the, the roles that you mentioned there uh, in, and the specialist roles, was that the team that you built out from 200 to 1 million? Uh, ARR, like how, how many did you have within that sales function to the first million? Because I don't obviously imagine from one to 10, it was, you scaled that. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we reached, uh, we reached the million AR. I remember in December, uh, 2016, I think, or 2015, was it? I think it was 2015, uh, December, 2015. Uh, and we were four sales by the, by the time, including me, uh, so very full cycle at that period. And I remember in Jan uh, gathering that we, we, we raised our, our, our uh, seed round, uh, 2.7 million. And we said, okay, now we're going to hire people. Uh, we're going to uh, put processes in place and we're going to split function. And basically by Jan, Feb uh, 2016, we, we split it by function and we started to run from 1 million to 10 million uh, AR. Uh, which was really a very ambitious ob objective was to do it in less than two years, uh, which is ambitious. It doesn't mean you don't do it, that you, you fail. Huh? It's just that we thought with the market that we have in front of us, we can achieve it, and uh, which is what we did. Uh, the same way we, we said that the 1 million uh, to uh, 100 million, we're going to do them in less than seven years. And... We are on track to do it, which 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 is which is good, um, and basically we split the function, put efficiency in that, put process in it. Uh, I was in charge of of every person in the beginning, uh, and then after a few few months, maybe a year, started to put managers like mid managers uh, in between. But I stayed involved very much in the sales. Even today, I'm still. Uh, I'm still very involved in that, even though I have directors and so on. But we stay very, very. Uh, I stay very close to the to the whole uh, revenue organization, uh, including sales. I'm going to get to Marcus's question in a minute. Um, so for those that are listening, we're getting some questions in the uh, in the chat. Um, so again, just getting getting back to you know one to ten in in less than 19 months. So you talk about the market. We talk about ambition. We talk about specialization. You know. <clears throat> what, what was the the secret sauce there? Was it a combination of of all three, or, all, all three things? Like you know, it, it's not hugely known. Like most most SaaS companies won't get to ten in, you know that quickly. <clears throat> so how did how did Aircore do it? Was it just getting those three things right? 
I would say it's all about the team. It's all about your first hires. Do you think those four first, when you hire them, it's extremely important. You have to give them the ambition. You have, they are the next founders, uh, basically. I always say that because they will own the company one day, those guys. And, and that's how I recruited them with the idea that, yeah, I'm going to learn them what I know. Uh, and I can say by the time I was the more, not the, the most knowledgeable, uh, person, head of sales, call it as you want, but, I wasn't. What I had was an ambition, was a drive uh, to overachieve and to to change forever. You know the the, uh, the 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 telecommunication industry, so the phone system industry in that case. Um, and so I was looking in that talent in the in the first hires. Is will you guys be the next uh, people that I'm going to hire for the next six seven years? that are coming and it's extremely hard uh but luckily i have to say we hired those people and recently we celebrated the five years of one of my first employee um and we're gonna celebrate the five years of other employees etc etc because those guys you transmit them this little thing that founders have which is the the ambition of changing a little bit the world, at least on your level, but change something. And, and you want to give that ambition to your first hires where they, they feel, okay, with that job, with that company, with Airco in that case, I can change my life forever. And let's, let's not only make it personal and selfish saying, okay, I want to change my life, but let's make it, okay, I want to write history. And that's what I offered them. And luckily, of course, uh, business was booming, things were going well, and so they see that the ambition goes with the uh, with goes with actual uh, success, um, and a mix of all that with strong processes, very hands-on, uh, a very hands-on team. So in my case, I was very hands-on. I, I I was selling, I was doing demos until. 2 million, 3 million AR, so, you know, quite high, maybe 2 million, more than 3, but okay, so I stayed on the ground and always very close to the to the teams. A product that was in trouble by the time, but with a, a strong uh, a strong idea of making it simple and better than what it existed by the time. Uh, and the mix of all that somehow made it happen made it happen and i can i love bragging about that say we kept our the, our first employees and today they are our best managers they are our top level managers and that's and that goes along with a story saying hey we are build, building a multi billion dollar business with the pe- the first people that we hired and as a founder uh that's i hope the same for my uh, for my first-time employee, that they will leave the same with their first uh, people they manage and their first people that manage, etc. And so we cascade all that uh, all the way down to today, close to 400 people uh, at Airco. Amazing. I mean, <clears throat> so just coming uh, back to a point that you you mentioned kind of earlier around those kind of first hires being interns and answering uh, Marcus's question here. So. Uh, he says, what qualifies your intern as a good intern? Where did you source them? Um, we usually <clears throat> start out with how driven is the person? Skills come second as they can be learned. Um, and how much time did you give them to adapt? 
So yeah, uh, totally. Uh, skills are are less important. Uh, uh, it's all about the drive of the person. So totally, Marcus, I agree with you on that side. And so, how do you qualify a good intern? You just qualify a good intern by its its ability to work. Uh, I remember uh, some interns in the beginning. We're really working a lot. They were staying at the office no matter what until they reached their targets, and, and that's that is once you hired them, of course. Uh, but my feeling, and it's a gut feeling, uh, I'm very gut feeling in general. But when you hire them, do you feel those people are here to do compromises, to to do something different, and to to go beyond what they could reach? without starting in a young startup with great ambitions. If it's someone that looks for security of work, if it's someone that, you know, comes here and and thinks about hours work and so on, might be tough in an early stage company. Because what will put in orbit an early stage company is its ability, the ability to the people that work in it to work hard, to be sharp, to be organized, and to not be discouraged by failures. Because failures, we've seen failures all over the place. We've failed several times. You can get really fast dismotivated. And it's so, do you feel that in that person? Do you feel that person is different and will not uh, give up after the first fail? And if you have the ability to judge that and feel that person, won't let you down no matter what, you might have that first, those first employees there that will drive your business in the future. And it's a, it's a, it's a hard bet. Uh, I would say by the time when talking to investors in general, they were more like, okay, hire that top level VP sales. Once you're at 1 million AR, you take the best guy you find, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you can do that. Gonna cost you a lot. That person might not adapt, might not be hands-on enough, might not want to work long hours, um, but it's a bet. I t- took the bet of uh, of investing on young uh, people, skilled, smart, and sharp, and that want to really achieve something for them. And I think today they don't regret being part of that adventure and and uh, and still. Uh, staying here for the future. So it's a hard bet again. We're getting a lot of questions in. Just a note to those in in the audience. We'll read out some from the chat, but also if if you want to go in the queue to to come in and ask a question on screen to Jonathan, uh, as we have done in in some of the other SASCAP engaged sessions, uh, feel free to do that. We'll probably start to bring you on screen in about five minutes. So after, after a couple more uh, questions, um, I, I wanted to know, so what, once you've got that team, just in terms of what do you do for training uh, the team? So you've got all these young, entrepreneurial, <clears throat> driven folks uh, that are super smart. How do, you, how, do you, how do you train them so that they are machines and, and, and hitting their targets? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, training is very important. And I, I have one advice, one advice that... I think it worked for the best for us. Um, it's going to be the worst time ever for all the cells that are going to be present in the room. And it's 
I'm talking just about a simple thing, and then we're going to discuss more about training. But one simple thing, and luckily with Airco, uh, we have that ability. Is when you do cold call, you can listen back to the calls uh, and see what you did good and, and not. And same with demos, okay? Or with Zoom, where you can um, register and and you know look back at it. And so it's very early. We by the time we are five cells, I remember one sales on each country. <laughs> one is Spain, one is France, one is UK, blah, blah, blah. Take them in a room and we pick two calls for each of them and two demos for each of them. So it, it might take you, it's a two hours, two to three hours meeting where it's gonna be a lot of sweat. You take those calls and you just put them live and we listen. And unfortunately, very often, they're doing things that are completely out of the rules, out of even what they know they shouldn't do, but they do it because the natural is stronger sometimes. And so it's a moment where they will listen to themselves with all the other cells next to them, listen to themselves. And it's a very awkward moment in the beginning because, wow, it gets rough. You see, you hear, you do things that you shouldn't. You 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 mess up calls. You you ruin a potential uh, lead by saying things that you shouldn't. But then you judge. You open. You lo you listen to the call. One minute, one and a half minute, whatever. How long it it is? Take pick up a call less than five minutes, ideally. Um, and then you 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 first let him judge himself. Usually, it's bad. He would be like, wow, why did I say that? Oh, that's rough. Then you let you let the audience and then you judge yourself and you, you tell him, oh, why did you say that at that moment, etc." And that, as I said, it is very painful. <laughs> it's very painful. But they get out of that call stronger than ever because they realize their mistake. You will never be able to make someone realize his mistake without making him listen and see that mistake and it's again it's a management thing you can you, you can choose to just look at numbers and say hey why do you miss your target oh i heard that call there um, you said that no listen back to the call go back to a call listen again why why did you do that and he's gonna learn things that a sales could never learn by himself is like learning by his mistakes which is i think the best thing you can have in general is you do the mistake and believe me you won't do it again as you guys are entrepreneurs i'm sure you've done tons of mistakes and those mistakes you won't be doing them you won't doing be doing them again uh hopefully <laughs> for you um and so that was one of the things we were doing in the beginning. And I remember uh my, one of my first sales that came to me outside the, the shop was like that was rough I was I was really hot during that meeting. I was like sweating, uh, but I got out and something changed inside myself. Something changed and changed forever. Uh, and it's funny because I was, I, I did that session without expecting that just with, Hey guys, okay, let's have a moment where we listen to the calls, uh, and to the demos. And the outcome of that was people seeing their mistake in front of them and wanted to change forever because they know that what they were doing was not right. And they probably were missing opportunities or, or not being convincing enough, et cetera, et cetera. So that was 
like one of the first training kind of and then but this you, you should do it a bit later once you are around seven to ten million ar is build a kind of uh, sales academy inside your company. I think we built Airco Academy uh, when we were close to a 10 million AR. Uh, you could do it a bit earlier, where you know you have specific training sessions uh, for the sales, and you make sure that everyone is at the same level, sells the same way, scripting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I was. I, I, was, uh, I guess you're going to answer my, my next my next question there. I mean, in, in terms of um, you mentioned that, like recording the calls, do you use Aircall or like an, another tool uh, to do that? And just an inter interested in that sales stack, uh, perhaps that you had the the first uh, million ARR. Maybe some insights. What does it look like now? <laughs> so yeah, in terms of calls, of course, it's air call. Uh, every call is recorded. You can filter them by whatever the tag you put on a call. Let's say, hey, call failed. You can then say, okay, I want to listen back to all the calls I failed or all the calls I succeed, whatever. So yeah, definitely air call. Uh, and for the demos, you know, by the time we were using uh, um, Hangout, uh, Meet. So yeah, we were recording everything to make sure we have a good database. And actually, uh, by the time Meet didn't have a recording um, function, so we were using uh, a tool that, but now you don't have that problem anymore just to, to, to record to the voices. Um, and concerning the cell stack, it was very manual by the time where we started uh, with uh, our first CRM uh, that was uh, close.io. It was okay. Honestly, when you're six, seven people, it's easy to implement, very straightforward. Um, but uh, very quickly, we needed to change and take something else. We took Salesforce, very hard to implement, uh, very expensive in general, but you can scale with you. Uh, now you have a choice. You can choose other type of CRM. HubSpot is amazing as well. Uh, Zoho uh good too so uh, you have a few a few choices um uh, salesforce is not anymore the unique cho unique choice i would say and could be dangerous to take it too early even though we still use it today so you know uh, been five year customer for over five almost five years now um but yeah very very basic stack don't over-engineer the stack. Uh, a good thing is very early to take, a, um, of course, uh, an email automation tool so that emails get sent automatically. Uh, you have several Growbots, Salesloft, uh, uh, and several others that you will find. I don't want to advertise anyone, but uh, a good thing is to have a cadence system that sends emails that you work closely uh, on your email type, test emails, make sure, hey, does this, this email gets more replies? If yes, let's test it on another batch, et cetera, et cetera. We had a problematic at, at Airco is that uh, we were hunting several different markets at the same time, so in different languages. So it was very difficult to know, okay, what email gets better because what works in French might not work in Spanish or in English. Um, so it was tough, but yeah, email automation, test and learn basically, and cold calling. Cold calling, it is super important. Some people would say, yeah, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, it doesn't work when you do it wild. When you do it properly, and I hate to use the word cold call because when we call you at Airco, we it's not a cold call. It's a, let's say, a warm call because 
we've sent you emails, we've sent you content, uh, we've done something. Okay, you 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 should have heard about us from close or from far. You've seen maybe ads from us because we use your uh, uh, we use cookies. If you visited the, our uh, our website after an email, that then you're tagged and 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 that you see advertising. So when we call you, we don't do the usual script even though you need a script and i'll get back to that after but we don't do the usual hey i'm jonathan i'm working for sales uh, airco blah 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 and i want to talk to you no we do it hey we open the questions hey this is jonathan from airco have you seen my last email so you open the conversation you make sure hey i catch you something oh the last email which email that guy is talking about what company is and and you make it an open conversation rather than that crappy cold call that I, I get every day and the reality is that i don't take the time anymore to listen because it's always the same what you have to do during a call is different is open the conversation if you're the only one that talks you just failed if you talk 80 percent of the time you fail you need to talk 20 30 percent of the time open the conversation open the curiosity of the person um and yeah so tools i think i replied a little bit so you're going to say you said you're going to come back to around the script. Yes. The so yeah. uh, cold call, it is extremely important to have a script, and I'm not saying that stupid script that uh, just tells you uh, exactly word for word what you have to say. I'm talking about a structure, a script where it says, okay, you need in the conversation to mention that. You need in the conversation to mention that. You need to say that, 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 and that. Why? Because every little word matters. In our case, for instance, what I expect is that you mention, hey, are you the right person uh, for dealing with telephony? What is your CRM? What are you using currently as a CRM? What's your help desk? Do you have a customer service department? Ah, cool, except, and so you need to have the few questions. And same for the first, the first words that you're gonna say during the call. The script will tell you what you need to say. and. Uh, and I bet, I take all the bet with all of you here. You read, I tell you, you have to say exactly that, but you don't take a script. I make you call someone for a sales call. You will see you won't say what's, what we said you should say. Why? Because it's like that. You're stressed. Uh, the person on the other side is cold. Uh, you're like calling him at a busy moment, maybe. So it's hard. So having a script just pushes you. Okay. This is what I have to say. We know that that's the word I have to use. And that helps you. So now it's not a script with uh, 20 lines, just you talking, 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 but it needs to have a structure of what you need to say, what you need to ask, and how you need to catch att attention, basically. So do not underestimate the power of having a clear script in front of each sales. Awesome. I'm going to now throw it open to questions. And we'll pick uh, uh, one from the chat. If anybody wants to come on screen, you just need to click uh, share audio and you'll go in the queue. So it's your opportunity to uh, ask one for Jonathan. Is there, John actually, Jonathan, is there one particularly that you want to kind of pick out from the. So I see a few questions. Um, so Marcus also asked, how much time? Did you give them to adapt? Uh, I mean, they're interns, so you give them time, but luckily uh, it didn't take so much time. Uh, but yeah, less than, uh, less, less than a month for sure in terms of adaptation. So we have two 
uh, how did you solve the phone quality challenge? Right, that's a very good question. Whew, that was a hard time. I have to say that could have killed us, and it almost did kill us. Um, because yeah, when you do a phone system, when you do something with voice, no matter how good is your UX, your experience, your whatever, if the the commodity, which is two person calling, is not solved, you just you're just messed up and you are in a difficult situation. So, in our case, we hired so much uh, people to just work on quality and to analyze and understand. And back in 2017, yeah, 2017, uh, DEC, two, no, so Q4 2017, we actually decided, so three years ago, exactly day for day, we stopped selling for a whole quarter. For a whole quarter, the whole sales team was not selling anymore. We said, okay, we don't sell. If people come inbound, we close them, but we don't put any efforts. Uh, we don't go after that. What we want is solve our quality problems. Imagine after three years of Erico, we stopped selling because we just knew that the quality of our service was not at the level we expect. And so our churn was exploding. Our customers were extremely unhappy. NPS was like uh, going down and so on. Uh, and so we had to find out. So a lot of work, a lot of analysis, uh, testing, uh, trying new codecs, developing our own codecs, rebuilding our application, rebuilding our our stack. That was a hard time because when you have sales team, you just hired and you explain them, guys, we don't sell. Now you're going to call the customers, understand what's their problem, make, put it, put that explanation into a table that will be then used by product and tech to try to solve problems. Believe me, when you do that in a company, you are in a hard, hard position. But we did it, took three months, and then we we, we got back on track in Jan and things were, were for the best. Even though all our quality problems were not fixed at that moment, but at least we were more coming into a, into something that worked better than it used to. And with our business, it is constantly our focus is to improve our quality. And I can say today after six years that quality problems are behind us just for over a year now. So not so long time ago. Uh, and that's why we, we always stay humble uh, uh, with that because uh, Airco could have died at some point because of that. So it's important to be able to put the right focus uh, on the problems you have. and it's right for product, but it's the same for sales. If something doesn't work, okay, calm down, step back, understand, and let's rebuild it again and again. Was, it, was there any churn issues with the, with the sales team in that period? <clears throat> You've got a sales team, but they can't sell, so they can't earn money, essentially. Um, did they stay? Were they happy? So luckily, not so much. I think everyone understood. It was not like, hey, uh, top down and say, hey, we stop. Why? Because we need to stop. No, it was, wow, we are selling sales we're seeing. We sell. People love you, the product. People love Airco. But once they start making calls, it doesn't work. So what are we selling? No one wants to be a, a sales that feels like a, a, someone that screws people. You want to be proud of what you sell. And at that period, we were not proud. We were growing, but we were not proud. And myself as a founder, I can't stand not being proud of what I sell. 
And so my sales, they have that drive, is that if you're not proud of what you sell, it means you're not doing the right thing. Um, and that's how uh, and that's how we adapted. And every everyone understood that, okay, it's the time to change something. And we need to change it. And so we changed. And so churn not, not, was not so bad during that time. People churn, awesome. at least. Uh, um, we got a question here from, from Anthony Nathaniel. For your outbound prospecting, did you supplement it with paid advertisements? Or was it just based on your own research as to who to call? Yeah, both, actually. So uh, ideally, when someone was visiting the website, he had cookies, and then those cookies were pushing ads on different uh, on the different website they could visit on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Uh, it helps a little bit um, keep a, a track and keep um, keep the person you know aware that we are there. And hey, you visit the website, maybe you were not interested, but at least. You remember what we do. Airco, Airco has to sound in your mind, and that's not so expensive because depends if you don't have if you have millions of people visiting your website. But in our case, we were getting a few hundred by the time, so it was not so expensive. But it's very, uh, uh, it's 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 really in your ICP usually. Awesome. Um... One from uh, Isaias uh, Miguel, where having problems with very low response rate of cold emails and messages. Did you have this problem and how do you work around that? I don't know what low means. Um, we used to have uh, a conversion rate to cold email to closing a bit under 1%. Okay. Um, and a response rate around 10%. Now, that number dramatically increased when we started to take care of our lead generation engine. So, if I explain it in normal words, a lot of startup, and I get emails like that every day, just extract tons of user uh, of companies, of data, everywhere, and just send hundreds of emails. And it's not the good way. The sales should focus every week on 30 companies. And that's it. 30 companies. That's it. Not hundreds. 30. And three people buy companies. Okay, Find the three relevant spoke people in the company and just hand them until you get an answer. And in that case, you're going to increase dramatically your response rate because you just, and it's it's the mistake often uh, founders will do is you think like the more you put on the top of the funnel, the more you'll have on the bottom of funnel. And that's wrong. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Is on the top of the funnel, select the best. The one that you know those customers, this guy can be a customer. You know it. Why? Because whatever. Uh, in our case, I was myself calling the the customer support department of the company say, and talking with the customer support department. Hey, guys. Hey, how are you? Yeah. was pretending I had an order. Hey, I, I spoke with someone else yes, last week. What was his name? Uh, can you look in the CRM? Uh, but we, we don't have it connected, uh, so I don't know who you spoke with. Ah, okay. But uh, wait, you... you, you you shouldn't be too many. How many are you? Yeah, no, we are, we are actually uh, 50 people, so I don't know everyone. Ah, you're 50 people. 
Okay, so now I know the, the answer. I know that that company is the perfect match. So that company, this one company, I'm going to put so much resources just to get that one company. And I did that several times. And you increase dramatically your response rate in that case. So look at top of funnel. Top of funnel is the most important. Do not think, hey, I'm not having the right email. Maybe you don't have the right email as well, but top of funnel. Usually if your product answers a, a question, it's top of funnel problems. Um, and the bottom funnel will just follow. Um, and if emails don't work and you have the right ACP, cold calling. Cold calling works. For at least it, it gives you the unique opportunity to have a meaningful conversation. A unique conversation. Hey. I'm talking, you hear my voice, I'm there, I hear your voice. We, we, we share something. Um, and it's funny because that's what we did recently in our manifesto is calls, it's not only about two people that talk, it's about two people that share something, something unical. Um, and, uh, and at that moment, and that's what your sales should know, is that it's not about talking, it's about sharing something during that call. That will make you forever in the mind of the person. And I am not exaggerating when I say forever. I, I can tell you, I, I get every month, still today, answers to some of the emails I sent four or five years ago, six years ago even for some. And those people just say, I remember speaking to that crazy dude <laughs> and he, he mentioned something, a phone, I found it again and uh, okay, I'm going to write him. And it's, it's, and it's unique. And that's unique period you have is over the phone to share that. Of course, the best is even during a, a, a video call because you have a face and so you feel there is kind of a, a friendship that's born. I'm, I'm going far with that, but really I believe in that. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, just kind of on, on that, I mean, just you mentioned sort of the video call. So obviously I know that you use like air call, your sales teams are using air call. Uh, as you're doing the, the the outbound and recording, like this year, as everybody's kind of remote or gone remote, we've been forced to leave the offices because of the pandemic. Uh, have you guys been switching to the, you you know do more video calls? Perhaps probably not. You don't do it on the cold call, right? So this will probably be on a uh, on a warm call. But at what at what stage are you bringing in video calls? How often do you use them? Or is it um, yeah? Just kind of interested to know uh, around the balance of what you do because. We're all kind of like zoomed out to death, uh, you know, most people. So just interesting to see how you guys have uh, done that. No, but for us, every demo is through a video call. Every demo uh, through a video call, you need to have the video actually, because some cells in the beginning were hiding. Um, and you have to have a face in front of you. You have to have the right background uh, that we can see you properly, uh, that, uh, you let the you ask questions, etc. So video was always the case. Uh, our first demos on Airco, even six years ago, were were done through video. I, by the time I was doing them on Skype, I remember that was a that was a hard time where you were saying to a person, "Hey, give me your Skype ID and let's meet." And then you had hundreds of uh, of uh, of new contacts. It was not so so easy. Uh, but yeah, video is part of the game. You need to do video. And with the pandemic, it didn't change so much. To be honest, yeah, Airco offices are all closed all over the world right now. Um, but our process stays the same. 
uh, it's just that you work from home and you don't have your colleagues next to us next to you um, but no the rest is 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 very similar it's video calls only almost beside for kind of uh, big wells what how we call them so kind of over 200 users where we try to go to see them uh, but otherwise we were able to as, as of today to to build a three million dollar ar uh, even more actually uh, in some countries uh, without ever stepping in the country what what proportion of uh, i guess new revenue is coming from your outbound sales team versus inbound so i mean <clears throat> as an example as we, we're talking about demos and all this cold calling and everything um SaaS stock and or we we've been a customer of air call probably since 2015 2016 uh but we never had a demo probably because i knew you know of you guys through the conference or whatever and um, maybe it's a unique uh, a scenario that went you know look at the website signed up for the product had four people you know bought it no demo uh you needed i, I think actually we, we initially did find that the product a little bit kind of technical at that point so i did need somebody's you know help uh, but how much are you doing from like you know, outbound and through demos to uh, you know what proportion of revenue versus people like me that might come in and just sign up? So people like you are extremely rare, extremely rare. They're very tiny usually. It almost never happens. And I think you were that kind of person in the early stage. Uh, we, you knew us. We've been sp speak, uh, speaking often, and so you knew where you were heading. But most of the people. They need drive. They need to. We need to help them even understand what they want to do, and advise them on. And that's how I always coach myself: is saying, "Your advisors, consultants, more than sales, uh, especially on inbound." Um, and so, to answer your your question about uh, our revenue piece coming from inbound, we have about sixty uh, percent coming from inbound. So people coming, signing up for demos, signing up for uh, uh, webinars uh, uh, or starting a free trial or whatever. Uh, we have um, about 25% from outbound. So coming from SDRs, outreaching, organizing a demo and then giving it to, uh, to account executive. And Today, about 15% coming from what we call partnerships, uh, and this is growing very fast. It, it should, uh, it should even, uh, it, it should close, come, uh, it should come closer uh, to uh, outbound level soon. Uh, but uh, at least two years ago, it was the case. Um, coming from our integration partners, so as you know, Airco. Uh, integrates with several CRM to several help desk, several SaaS products in general. So we get recommended uh, by those same SaaS tools uh, if someone asks for a, a telephony system or a call center software that integrates with those tools. So it comes from there. Uh, we also get it get some indirect sales from uh, system integrators uh, that integrates different SaaS products or even actually our uh, resellers. Uh, we also have resellers of Airco that their only business is to resell uh, um, software in general. Uh, and that's how 
we are split it. And the indirect sales, which is uh, the partnership, what we call it, uh, is our fastest growing channel. But I'm going I'm to do one final question as we come to the top of the hour and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up there. Uh, so you mentioned, obviously, that at the beginning, the early days, you know, uh, one book that certainly helps you as a non-SaaS guy and, you know, a, a, not really a, a sales guy was Predictable Revenue. Uh, like since then, you know, has it, because it's quite, it's quite an old book, but still, like, you know, it's, it's very valid and uh, helpful within, uh, you know, the SaaS industry and around that specialization story, which Aaron Ross, you know, still very much speaks about. Uh, any, any other sort of books since then? that you, you kind of recommend to the sales teams or, you know, have been for you, uh, you know, uh, quite uh, important and impactful? The, the book itself, was it important and impactful? Well, any, any new ah, ones? Uh, since, on the since, sales, no. Yeah. I have to say on the sales, predictable revenue was very interesting because it's very focused on what you need early stage and at least what you need. And, and don't find a magic trick, no. But you're just going to read very in a very simple way what you need to do and why you need to do it because it's very logic. It's like not reading mathematics because mathematics might not always be easy for everyone, but it's logic. You need that because it is like that. You need to split function because splitted function will be always better than global function, than general, generalist function, sorry. And so it helps you. And once you, let's say the book makes you just realize that, okay, that's logic. You know, it's not rocket science, it's logic. Once you realize that's logic, you get into the execution part where it's all about executing, hiring, training, et cetera, et cetera. So honestly, no, I didn't read any other book towards sales that brought me what predictable revenue brought me by the time, at least. Uh, let's all thank uh, Jonathan for, for being a, a great guest today on SAS Talk Engage and also the SAS Revolution Show podcast. And looking forward to your talk next week uh, at the Blueprint Series uh, conference for, for CEOs, Jonathan. So thank you. thanks so much. It's been fascinating. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Alex. Great to meet you again. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDoc conferences around the world.